welcome to Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters who've been doing this for <laughs> way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Chris. Well, it's so easy, easy when everybody's trying to please me, baby. It's so easy, easy when everybody's trying to please me. Oh, man, dude, Appetite for Destruction, easily one of the greatest Mm. hard rock albums ever made. Obviously, that was Guns N' Roses. Hello, everyone. Rock and Roll DM, Dave. Welcome back. We have another gangbusters episode here. I mean, we're getting down to the nitty gritty of what it takes to DM, you know. (laughs) Um, But no, we kind of were talking, um, precast, we've been talking at our games about what are some of the things that we've found that are like DM hacks to make our games easier, to make running that game easier? When you're sitting down and you have to manage that whole table, what are the things that work the best for you? Um, so what do you guys think? What, what are some of, the, some of the tips and tricks that you've found that you've implemented? And then maybe we'll get into some of the ones that we hope to implement. A lot of DMs often make the mistake of preparing stuff that they do not need. And one of the things I've seen from Chris is, he, or actually Dave, he likes to go and say, hey, hey, where are we going next week? And that really kind of helps you narrow down what you should be prepping. Because you can prep everything and it's all going to be watered down. But if you stay focused, you can really give that your A game versus being trying to prepare for everything and ending up being prepared for nothing. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like uh, it was one of the things that, like, uh, it, it, like the evolution of DMing was getting away from preparing things in such a meticulous order and kind of preparing the bits and pieces that you need and finding the things that actually benefit what it is that you're trying to do at the table, like highlighting the right things. Yeah, the first thing I had here, I wrote a couple things as to some of the things I find, like, kind of make the game run easier for me, at least. Uh, And prep notes was the first thing. And I've shared several times in articles and stuff about how my session notes have changed over time and how I've I've kind of whittled down what I need to have. Uh, And, Tony, we've gone back and forth because I think uh, we we were probably some of the the biggest preparers of things because I need to have a level. Right. Yeah. You've said it before. You need to have a level of of really knowing your material so you can hit the game running. Like there's only so much improv that I'm comfortable with where I feel like I'm dropping it out. I think that's a good question. Like, Tony, like both you guys are running large size campaigns right now. Like what is a comfortable amount of prep for you? Obviously, there's your notes and then you can structure those how you want, how much detail you want in your bullets or whatever. But I mean, what's a comfortable amount of prep? What's a, what are the things that you do that makes you feel comfortable that you prepped okay for this particular session? So if you're going lore heavy or you have a lot of details that you want to lay out there, you want to make sure that there's organic places they can all get dropped into your story. Because it would really suck if you thought out all these great ideas and you're like, this is where I can implement this and this is where I can plug this and this was where I can kind of hint at this and shit, they left the bar and I forgot. <laughs> yeah, I thought they were going to be in the bar for the next two hours of game time. Guys, go back to the bar, please. He's running. The, yeah. the bartender's running after you. He's got one last thing he's going to share. Yeah, absolutely. I um, 
It kind of depends on what the session is. So like, for example, um, I can use two examples. I can use from the Strahd campaign and also Dragonlance too, because I'm, you know, I'm Mr. Published Adventure here, right? <laughs> um, but for a normal session, like Tony, like you said, I definitely get a sense of where you guys are heading next. You know, you're either mid-adventure or you, you have a de definite point that you're hitting. Right, because you have that point where you're leading into the adventure, then you have the thing. But like in Curse of Strahd, Balaki, and then in Dragonlance was um, Kalaman, are both these areas and adventures that happen all the time where the hub is. The, the adventure really starts. And when you guys hit Kalaman, I had to prep a ton more than I would for, you know, your first night in Bogler or the the... The, the Kingfisher Festival or something like that, because there's so much there. You're about to explore this huge city state and there's lots of adventure hooks. So that level of prep, totally different. I'm going to have like six pages of prep as opposed to my normal like two to, to kind of wrap that that point up there as I ramble. Chris, my, one of the things, because I turned you on to him. Uh, I know you're a huge fan now of Mike Shea as well, uh, the Lazy DM. I kind of I I kit bashed some of his his ideas his prep stuff together so I have a template that I do I have a where did we land, where did we uh, last lead off right so that's my lead in then I have my secrets and clues and then I put my encounters in there and then whatever kind of notes I have but I know exactly the the three or four things I have to hit before next session and then you know what you guys are gonna do changes how i'm going to approach that i mean mike shea is the, is, is the guy i love the lazy dm and one of the things that I, I try to prepare them out of order too i try to take the chronology out of my joke with you guys on the tuesday nighters when trying to do the recaps kind of uh on off the cuff and you're going back and looking at scenes organized not really in a, in a chrono chronological sense because you're looking that the characters are going to find them organically you're going to find the secret and clue somewhere along the line but it's not like a railroad anymore so i think that i mean his his method of prep i mean we're kind of talking about a lot of his ideas right even on here and kind of bringing them up but what are some other uh ways that you guys have um what are some other hacks that you've used that you enjoy currently the structure of the outline is i cannot put enough value on this so how i don't miss notes in my story is i create where you left off I, generally speaking, I have the recap somewhere else because I don't get that lost in my actual game notes. But I have usually about 13 scenes prepared for you. That's just whatever, how that worked for me. I have about 13 scenes with parts involved in there. And within that, I get to my beginning of my story, what the one or two, three key points are, and then the finish. And then I kind of put a little bit of a hook at the end for what's next. And then the details, I go back later and retroactively fill them in as I need to. I'm not making the story from the beginning and trying to make it make sense by the end or trying to find all those places. They're already like open compartments ready for me to fill in. I, think that's, I mean, I definitely scenes are an awesome way to provide some level of structure and time limit to the game. You know that 13 scenes is going to give you a rough amount of time for this amount of time of game in this session. When I'm doing the like the Tuesday nighters, I'm doing like I'll have like six or seven scenes there because I know that I, we probably even won't hit them all. But that gives me a good amount. It's not too much, but it's a good idea of 
for that amount of time that we might be able to get through this, you know, like it provides a good idea of how much you have to, the time and the story length. Yeah, that's funny. I, uh, I don't think of it in scenes like that. Like I have my recap that I do, and that's something that I definitely think is very helpful is literally write down your recap, put it in bullet points and, you know, create a short, well, some, some games it's less short, but a short little monologue almost just to lead the people back in. I mean, you see that now because we have so much streaming services and so much binge watching now with Netflix and Prime and Paramount Plus and all these ones, right? Disney Plus is every episode now previously on, previously on, previously on. Where back in the day, episodic TV, you might have that if it was like part two or if it was part of a big story arc that they were playing with that season. But now everything is a big story arc and there's so much information that's flying through. So I think that recap is super important uh, with that, but literally write it down uh, because you will forget it in the, in the, um, in the heat of heat of battle as it were. But I don't think of scenes. Like I literally have like, here's where they are. Here are the encounters or the things that can happen, right? The things that they can go on, missions or whatever it might be. And then I just kind of like, Chris, you had brought it up two episodes ago with Lenny. You talked about being a head up DM. Um, And I think that's really valuable in throwing that out there. And now the players come back at you. And now the game is happening. And I'm going to lead you. I'm going to do the magic trick where we lead you to where the adventure is. But you don't feel like you didn't see me pull the rabbit, you know, or stuff it in there. You know, you just see the final ta-da, right? We don't put you on the tracks. But, I mean, recap stuff. I mean, what do you think? Tony isn't a big fan, but the players giving the recap is that I think definitely, like, it's good. I've got, you know, I, I remember one of some of the Tuesday Nighter recaps I had to, like, shorten up because I started to get really uh, heavy with the text, but it was... <laughs> previously on for, like, three Previously seasons. on, but, I mean, there is some value to that, obviously, if there's a key point, but if the players are actually capturing everything that you're putting in there, I think sometimes, like, having them give the recap really tells you what actually happened last time versus what you necessarily thought as DM happened last time, which in in many ways helps me because then I'm like, oh, crap. Like, you know, we only did it a couple of times because I feel a little bit awkward. It's a bit weird to say to the players. Sometimes people are like, "Ah, I don't know if, I," you know, depending on your level of notes, some people are heavy with them or not. But it's uh, it really helps to identify what points in the story you need to emphasize, if you need to emphasize them at all, if the characters really care about that part of the adventure or not. So. I think it makes it a little bit easier for me, but, you know, just different styles. I've had the players recapping um, been received in different uh, ways. One group was like, yes, I want to recap this. And other ones are like, don't call on me. Like, <laughs> like I, I, hang on. My, my, my screen's not up yet. Hang on. My character isn't actually here yet. Give me a second. For the new game, I started recording my recaps. And one of the reasons why I did that is because... When you're going to sit there and do a two or minute or three minute full recap, either you've got a block text you've typed out or you're trying to do this improv. And if you're doing an improv, you may have forgotten something. So this gives me a chance to send it out in an email. Uh, You know, I got nerdy. I threw some music behind there. And then I'm like, there you go. So by the time we get to the game, 
You should remember what it is. And in case you didn't, I'll play it again for you so everybody knows. Yeah. And what's good about that is that helps you not be in a situation where you throw out this hook you've been planning to. Like, here's my chance. I've got the structure of the scenes that I do. And then they're like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The recording was very cool. I like that, and I actually, I actually listened to it on the way over to the 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 next game, you know, like the drive over, right? Like the little teaser trailer. Yeah, Chris, I have actually used. Uh, you you might remember when we were in the Slavers Bay campaign, I had started because that's a that's a something I I picked up from Matt Colville actually from the Running the Game series. Uh, he talks about having the players recap for that very reason to see. It's like he says, you can keep a pulse on the campaign. What do they think is important? What do they remember? And I had started to, but Tony, like you said, you kind of see how your how your table is reacting to that, and then you change it. So I had started to, to with the Curse of Strahd campaign, I think probably the most, um, I started to recap myself, and I kind of liked it. And I was getting generally good feedback for it so i just continue with it and now i go full bore but what that allows me for for me my style is i i can create that drama that kind of dramatic flair of it and i can push forward the things that i need you to remember i need you to focus in on that you might have thought was a a throwaway scene or or encounter but no 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 that's important so it kind of goes back to if you want people to remember something, say it seven times, you know. So if I say it in enough recaps, you know, maybe we'll, uh, you know, and enough NPCs go, hey, didn't you hear about that thing? They might actually remember it. But I have tried the player recap, and I think with certain tables that absolutely can be very, very helpful um, to see who who's paying attention and what are they paying attention to. But yeah, I, I think to your point, it really does require the right table to be able for it to function normally. Otherwise, you're going to get one guy who's taking a whole lot of notes and a lot of the other players are there. They're having fun. They're in the moment. They're not necessarily there reciting, you know, able to remember and recite what happened last time or comfortable doing it. So that's a very good point. Tony, back to the thing is, it just occurred to me uh, about your, your preparing scenes, because I totally get that having played now in a couple games with you. Uh, I can see that, but I also had the chance to see your session notes when you ran the one shot that was within the Curse of Strahd campaign, but you took over for one because of story reasons, right? Um, and you let and Roderick came back from Storm Kings and all of this. Uh, it was a great time, and I actually got the session notes from you because it was within the campaign proper, so I wanted to make sure I could hit some of these points or utilize it. And your session notes are extensive. So I can absolutely see when you're building scenes out. So you literally have, you know, like we joked before about, the, you know, get on the train, you know, walk at you to your stop. But you have all of those and you'll adjust them for the game. But you have, I mean, this is what could happen here. This is what could happen here. This is what could happen here. So I wrote an article uh, months back about how would it been fan i am for google docs for this because in the beginning i'm writing down notes for monsters and stuff the hell with that screenshot that shit put it in the doc here's where the monster is boom get some clip art splat there we go now i can see visually as i'm scrolling down i see where my monster is i've got my monster stats 
with doing the scenes like this, so it's not railroading, in terms of story, I try to make it so when you're doing something, going to the next scene is what is the most next logical thing to do. So if you're paying attention or you have a pretty good idea, either you're inclined to or you're convinced this is the next right move to, to make versus I'm like, I'm standing there with my conductor's hat on and I'm holding tickets out. For me, it was tough at first. I really wanted it to be a story. And I like the first ones had box text and you had to follow to that. You have to go across this. You have to go there. And I mean, playing with you guys broke that of me really quick. But now it's funny, like uh, I was reading the Lazy DM again because I needed some additional guidance. Like I was feeling a little bit lost in the preparation and feeling anxiety before the things and that thing. And the, he would say, like, outline some potential scenes. And so I started to put them in. But the one thing he said, he's like, don't put them when they're going to happen. You don't even have to give them a whole lot of context. Give it a nice little descriptive sentence. Give it what you need there. And then. When you start the game, it can happen like when you're, you know, in the Tuesday nighters, if you're in Stormtooth, you can go any number of these couple places. And there's a basically a potential scene and some potential NPCs lined there. But it's not the same way before where I would have the bullets would be lined up and they'd all be stacked and it would have to flow. It was like a waterfall versus more of an agile approach where now I'm sort of jumping around to different uh, areas. Yeah, I, that's definitely I mean, that's helpful I, for me. I. Ooh, that is a lot of, of having to improv some of that well, stuff. It, this is, I mean, if with a published adventure, it changes a little bit. You'd still have to sort of, it would sort of have to relate around the total, you know, secrets and clues for that campaign setting. But different things that they could find, like how your secrets and clues don't necessarily have a location. They're just sort of out there and they could be found. So you yeah. don't have to, you don't have to go here right now if they don't ever go here, but you could find it now from a tavern owner or uh, something on the side of the road or something like that. Like it keeps it organic so the players can find them, but they're helping to write the story as well. It's not just my story. It's a, a collaborative effect where they're, we're telling their character stories in my world. Absolutely. So one of the things that I found uh, that we've been talking about a lot now that kind of led to this, uh, I think, to this uh, this topic is some of the mechanical things that we do behind the scenes. And Tony, this leads back to something I saw in those same session notes that you had done for the Curse of Strahd game, uh, the greater good, you had called it, which I thought was great. It was like such an old, like, I felt like it was like the next generation episode title, right? Like <laughs> something was going to happen where Picard and Data had to like, you know, morally uh, philosophize right what i noticed tony and you can kind of go into this to explain it better but when you got to certain monsters or certain enemies like there was a point where we were kind of doing the mirror thing where we were fighting ourselves and that type of stuff but even other areas you didn't have a stat block out there in the google doc you literally just had like who it is and like what they do and then as you were rolling was it that you were just kind of like you knew enough of some of the effects of certain attacks or spells that you could just on the fly? Or what was that exactly? Or was that very specific to that game? So it really depends on what creature I'm dealing with. Just for like reasons of sanity, like if I was going to put a game together tomorrow and I was throwing out a hobgoblin, yeah, I would just drop that right in the stat block. Fine. Just so I have that there making life easy. Uh, when I'm using 
a homebrewed creature, I have a general idea of their abilities. They've got their DC, their hit points, some defenses. But like, say, for example, if you were fighting Roderick, well, I understand your spell casting is up to X level. Sometimes, like when you guys did the, the uh, last game for uh, Journey to Ragnarok, when you were going to go fight King Ivar, who was a real Viking king, ironically. He was yeah. Ivar the Boneless. I had a script in what round I was doing what. So he's going to th- lead off by throwing his Hellfire Orb. Then he was using his elemental weapon. Then he was in a close to melee. So I kind of had that. So that's, when I got back to it, it's the monster's turn. Boom, this is what I'm doing. Save. I like that. that I mean, yeah. that's right. As something about having a list of actions there that you could easily pull from. I think that's very cool. Like, I've done it a little bit where I added, like, you know, especially with there a couple different monsters. Like, I'll go in and I'll write something that's, you know, regeneration especially because I forever forget if they're regenerating hit points between monsters <laughs> like that. Yeah. So and I would, like, dead, start and you're like, oh, shit, like, oh, like, oh like, the vampires are getting stuff back here. Like, don't forget, you know, but it's yeah. – uh, We're all guilty. Yeah, that is a, that is a good point. The one – I. The one that I love, and I date, you kind of turned me onto it a little bit, yep. sort of the, is the static damage. Um, yes. It's funny, like, it's almost like things that the game is about players rolling. Like, you still have to roll a bit as a DM, but taking some of that rolling out lets you be more interactive with them and be a little bit more heads up where you're not having to, like, sit there and roll uh, seven times for the seven goblins there or something like that. You have a good idea of damage and stuff like that right off the bat. No doubt, and I actually did that the first time in the uh, the final battle uh, for the Strahd campaign with Vampyr and, and all that that we went over um, on the first episode back. And it changed it because I was like, there's too much here. I can't be rolling 20d6. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm talking about things that are, some of them were, you know, I mean, easily CR 30. If not, I probably overclocked that shit. I mean, it was ludicrous. Like, when you go and see Vampire's stat, his stat block I made out, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. <laughs> but I was like, I can't do that. That's going to slow it so much. So I started using static damage, and it didn't stop my enjoyment of the game as a DM at all. So then I started throwing it into the girls' group. And I would throw a D20, and I'd throw a D20, and I would know immediately, okay, seven, go, what are you doing? They're coming at you right now. They're swinging their sword. And now I'm doing, that's all I do. And it hasn't changed my enjoyment whatsoever. If anything, it's actually improved it because, Chris, as you say, it lets me be head up. It lets me, because when a battle is happening, as you guys have seen live at least, I can't do it online if we're on roll 20, but I stand. I like to stand, I move around, I'm looking down at the board, but it gets me active. Also, I think it changes it, just the energy of the room, you know, because now I'm standing like, what the fuck? This guy's like looming over me, right? Like a goddamn albatross. He's intense. But but yeah, so the static damage is, I I like, I fought against it for so long, and now I I don't even know why, (laughs) you know. But Chris, like you said, players, you love to roll, right? That's kind of the thing. But as the DM, like, I'm rolling all game long, so, like, it's cool. I'll roll my D20, right? Well, one of the things that Dave introduced, which is, uh, you know, we talked about with delegating as a DM. So, you like, you know, you delegate, if you can, initiative tracker, or you have somebody help you with props, or the monster wrangler. And what's Ooh. great about the monster wrangler is I really couldn't use it in the last game, and actually uh, your brother was playing in that game, so I couldn't have <laughs> utilized him. That allows you to get, I mean, much as you're like, you know, I could just, you know, want to get down there and roll 12 D10 damage and sit there and doubt that out. But it lets you focus on 
the action, the the story, the description to what's happening versus you're like, shit, that thing has a regeneration token. Uh, that one's going to save. It's on fire. Uh, that one's breath weapon didn't recharge. Yeah, because I'm forgetting those things too, Chris. Like you said, regenerate. Regeneration is one of the key ones, right? Like you're just, oh my God, I forget that. You I forgot forget the uh, somebody's condition, right? They're they're actually restrained, so I should get advantage. I didn't take it. Oh, well, you know, there's so much already. So like trying to count damage. And Tony, like you said, when you get up to higher levels, you're talking massive damage. Like what if you guys are fighting an evil paladin and I decide to divine smite at fifth level? Oh, uh, yeah, you guys want to go get a cup of coffee. I'm going to roll out all these fucking D8s. Like, we see it on the Tuesday night group, right? Like, when you're having a calc damage, and roll 20 has already done it for you, right? You're not even rolling physical dice, and you're counting out 75 hit points worth of damage. Like, cool. Like, yeah, let me know when my turn's up, right? And I think it's fun on the player's side, right, to count it up. I don't think it's as fun on the DM side, right? Like the players don't do the same level of enjoyment. But then, okay, so if you take that and we start doing a little bit static initiative then, does that start to take the thing? Like I like it because it drops the monster in at a nice spot in everything. You don't get that, oh, the mo- like there's six characters and the monster goes last. And his it goes by the time he comes right. around there. Like he's always in the action there but it does start to take the agency away a little bit i mean i like it but what do you guys think it really depends on your group i think your older school players will push back against static it didn't bother me as much but i know some people who i have game with like what do you mean he does the same damage every time it's (laughs) like when i introduced minions in fourth edition and they're like what the hell do you mean all these level 20 monsters have one hit point. And I'm like, hey, that's that's the rules is written, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I don't think uh, I know what you're kind of getting at, Chris, but I don't think it, it takes away from agency at all. I mean, static damage or static initiative, because it does exactly that. It's doing the average of something which takes a lot of onus off of the DM. And as you said, the 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 episode with Lenny, too, when you start running games, it builds that empathy for people running games. And if I can spend more time on building the story, building your characters, being head up and really engaging with you at the table, and I can just say it does 12 damage, well, it at least didn't do 20 damage like it could have, right? Because the static (laughs) helps you in some ways, right? And in the same way, I haven't played yet. Like, we were talking about this, Chris. I was like, static initiative, that's my next thing. Where it's just 10. It's 10 plus whatever dex mod they have. And yeah, it kind of puts them right in the center of the action so that you don't have this gang up on, like, your dude and your encounter turns into just this one-shot, bam, he's dead. Which is cool. If that, if everyone rolls super high initiative as the players, then they feel very heroic, right? And something awesome happen. But yeah, I have no problem starting to play with it's 10 plus their dex mod. Uh, for the for the initiative either because I think it's just a an easy way for me to have to not worry about one more thing. Yeah, back in the day, I used to love tearing through the books, finding monsters, finding abilities, looking for items. One of the best hacks in the world is just to have that. Like I've said this before, I've got apps on my phone for all the spells, all the items, all the monsters. I'm looking for a CR something undead. Let's put up undead. Let's stack it where the lowest are going to the highest, and let me scroll through and let me see what I got in CR4. 
Right. Yeah. Now, is that something, Tony, that you because I mean, there's lots of apps out there that are are helpful in terms of resource. Is that something that you like, uh, obviously, during prep? But how about like in session itself? Is that something that you would jump to and rely on? And how quickly can can you utilize that? That is pretty quick. I mean, like someone casts a spell and they're like, oh, wait, this spell. What's the range on that? I thought it was 60. Hold on. Phone. Open app fourth level scroll down there it is yeah, yeah i love i love books it's not what i'm saying but this is a hell of a lot quicker so one of the things i've been playing with um especially when you get into first for your hobgoblin right your uh, minotaur whatever like something that just coming up it's a bruiser and it's gonna hit you really really hard you don't have to worry about that right because i will usually have like a dragon lance i have the different types of draconians as you guys meet them, I have a one sheet that I use as their stat block. So I always know I don't have to flip to the book, that kind of thing, but it's there. But when you're starting to work with things that might be spellcasters, stuff like that, um, what I've found uh, is helpful, I've now used it several times over is, and if you notice too, the the newest, like Morton Canaan's Tome of Foes, stuff like that, they started to utilize this. And I think it's kind of where I started to play with it, where they will just say it has these spells one a day, these spells three a day. And it just it auto compares it. Right. And you can always change that. But what I've done is I literally will just put a little note on the sheet of what does this spell do? So I can look down and I go, boom, 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 and I can just roll it out or say, give me a, a save or whatever it might be. But I literally will create a little crib note next to the spell, and then I know what I have there. That's good, because that's one of the most challenging things. Even in uh, Tuesday Nighters, I'll have, like, uh, Monster Manual and Volos, and oh, I'll God. have a couple open on the computer there for, like, what we're doing, like, the Mind Flayer stuff. And I've got, like, you know, seven different source books, and I'm having to kind of pick them up and move them around while I'm doing combat. It can get to be quite uh, quite cumbersome as, as you add more and more different types of monsters from different sources. So having the app is really cool. I have, like, a D&D Beyond and a couple other of the 5e sort of things on there. You can find a lot of the cool information, especially spell lists and stuff like that. They have a lot for spell lists and the monsters, to Tony's point. And it's good, especially the spell stuff, because... I mean, we forever, every time there's a spellcaster, it's like, well, it's the range, we have to figure that out, or there'll be some additional effect, or which saving throw for that one, right? Is it dex, or is it con, or is it yeah. something like that? So. No, you're right, Tony, because it does matter, absolutely. But yeah, I've, I've found that. Also, I mean, in, in your phone, too, real quick, if you just literally type burning hands, 5e, the roll 21 mm-hmm. is usually the first one that comes up, and there it is. Zoop, zoop, zoop. It is um, so I'll oftentimes do that, or I will have even for as a player, because I've played lots of spellcasters, I'll have my own quote spell book. So I'll print out what my what my spells are, and I'll write out the description. I'll type out the description. But oftentimes a limited, especially one of those descriptions, it's like seven paragraphs. Sure. In the PHB, right? But I'll know this is what it can do. So as my turn is coming back around, I can decide: Do I need to break out my player's handbook to really look at what this thing is capable of but at least i have that crib note of how far it can go how many people it can uh, affect the general effect of it and that's kind of what i do with my monsters too if it's something that's going to repeat over and over but especially for spellcasters because you'll lose so much 
And then that goes back, Tony, was that where you were talking about with literally like kind of creating like their battle tactic scripts. I like that idea a lot. And it's something I've started to to play around with a little bit. But this idea of they're going to do these kind of things to maximize their effectiveness. Yeah. Yeah. It has to make sense. So if a character has an aura power, for example, it's going to want to body up with the players. If it's got some explosive area effect spells, it's going to hit them from a distance. It's, it would use them uh, to its obvious, most logical tactical advantage, and that should feel uh, organic, and it should make the combat feel, have those oh shit moments. Yeah, absolutely. Especially as we've talked, especially as the villains become more and more villainous and more and more intelligent, right? Like I can play an ogre. You know, like you guys fought on the on the wharf uh, as you were escaping Bogler. You play it like a stupid ogre, right? It's big, it's beefy, it's going to hit you. And a draconian is kind of similar, right, generally speaking. But if you're going up against Count Strahd, Von Zarovich, well, he's not just going to run up and hit you. Like, you have to give a little bit of your prep time towards how are they going to approach this party, right? I think that's a, I mean, like monster shorthand a bit. Like I, I mean, in many ways, I think it's good for that, for making sure that you're staying organic to it. And for me, truthfully, it would just be keeping track. Like maybe it's an easier way for maybe to be able to keep track of all the different monsters is you don't need a full on stat block. You need the operative things. And these are the things that he's going to do this. Like these are the, you know, three possible things that he's going to do. He can do other things, but these are three possible things that highlight what makes this vampire cool or something like that. It's Strahd, right? He's going to want to try to bite somebody. Like, I don't want to go through an encounter and not have him at least try to, like, you know, bite at at least one person. I'm going to write that down there. It's something that makes sure that I'm not letting that pass when I'm d- busy dealing with something else. So. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, definitely like an idea of kind of almost a script of a battle, battle tactics, as, as it were. Um, yeah, because like. The, the thing I love is, and I get why they do it, because it could come into play in some fashion. So, but when you open up the monster manual and you get the goblin, and then it tells you, like, what skills they're proficient at, you know, like basket weaving and shit. And you're like, I don't know. Like, I don't need to really waste time on that. Could we shorten this up to just the bullet points of I need a, a bruiser, I need a skirmisher just coming out and hitting you, right? Like, what does he hit for? What's my what's my modifier, right? Oh. But Chris, I like that monster shorthand. Um, it makes me think of uh, the monsters know what they're doing. Keith Ammon stuff, uh, the book, which I've read some of, and it's cool because it gives it makes you think about this. But even going a step further, like real tactics mechanically, I think are, could be very very helpful on the stat block. Well, when you're talking about creatures like bruisers and skirmishers and stuff, they inherently will fight differently. Precisely. So your ogre's going to come up there with its low armor class, high hand points and high damage and try to smash somebody. Maybe they're not so concerned about breaking around the line and going after the wizard or somebody in the back. But your skirmisher or maybe like an assassin like character, a um, yeah. like a roguish one, th- they will they, they will and it should play differently where you're kind of doing the service to those monsters. Otherwise, they're just generic creatures like you played a video game from you know 10 years ago. You'd encounter them. They're there. You exchange hits. One of them dies. You collect treasure. You move on. I mean, I think that's a very good point is that where if we don't play the runaway part or the, 
you know, the enemies have a tendency to just be something that's going to kind of hang around until they get beaten. But for, you know, roguish type characters, more intelligent beings, they'd be looking for a way out as soon as the tables turn. If it doesn't suit what they're trying to do, like playing them as more intelligent definitely makes it uh, better. Yeah, I, but that's a, that is a, I think that's a, a, an excellent hack in like this kind of high overview. But when you're thinking about your monsters, especially monsters that are very consequential to the adventure, give a thought and give some level of shorthand to not just their battle tactics, but are these the kind that will fight to the death? Are these the kind that will run? If it's an animal in the wild, an owlbear, it's not kind of like you hit it real hard once, it's probably going to go away. Like, I don't know a lot of bears, except cocaine bear, maybe. That's kind of right. <laughs> he wouldn't go away, but probably... No, if you... cocaine bear is going to fight to the death, you know? Um, You're still going to choke out of my next article. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, giving a, like giving some prep to that uh, with however you utilize stat blocks, even if it's as simple like Tony had in the uh, in that one session uh, for Strahd, because that, that really affected me. I even uh, messaged you... Uh, after the fact, Tony, and I was like, this is really something like there was literally one line and he ran an entire battle with the characters that were incredibly involved with a line of text. And uh, obviously, again, these are characters that you have now played with and played for, uh, you know, 30 sessions. Right. But even still. Right. Even still, there's a there was a level of a. Uh, a balancing act there it was yeah it was impressive well you know that that was uh definitely a fun one to run when i'm uh if we step away from battle for a second when we're uh, doing story when i'm hacking my way through trying to simplify something in terms of uh game prep i really try to like i look at everything in terms of like maybe a pie chart and i go okay what are we gonna put in this session i want to have x amount of role play x amount of challenges involving the character's abilities maybe a puzzle I feel like my table doesn't exactly receive riddles well, but okay, that's fine. I'll take that in consideration. And then, of course, combat. And I try to break it apart like that, then delve that back into my scenes and go, okay, so this is what I'm trying to do here. Here's where I'm to put the role play. Here's where my combat moments are. Obviously, probably closing with a large combat scene, and the others get sprinkled in where they would fit naturally. But now, say, let's say the dark side of things, right? Would you, how often do you change the hit points of a monster in combat during the session to help to intensify or de-escalate a situation to be able to suit the story versus the thing? And does that start to edge to the game? I've started doing a little bit more. Like I joked, I want to say the last time about uh, getting getting Lenny the final shot there because I was like first time player coming around. Yeah, and he, I think he probably even ended up critting on it, which I think was like the final sinker there. But is does it start to get to that close, like the static stuff? Does it start to take away that a little bit? If you're saying all of a sudden I'm kicking the monster health up because I want him to last another couple rounds because you guys have been pounding on him, but I feel like you guys want it to go another couple rounds. Well, I mean, am I going to tell you I've never done that? I, I mean, my nose will grow so long, I'm going to push over the monitor. I got, that's, that's I'm going to get the Bible over to you. Please put your hand on here. But uh, <laughs> in, in all honesty, I feel like sometimes, like, I, I don't know if you guys have noticed in Ragnarok, I, I there's no DM screen. All my dice are out there. 
So if my character, if my NPC, I, like I'm coming for Chris and I'm like, I'm going to tear your head off. And my guy sticks his claws in the dirt. That's how it happened. Because the same note, if I effing kill somebody, <laughs> I'm going to be like, well, sorry, that's a 20. He rolled 17 damage times two plus his modifier. And uh, you then fall off the cliff. <laughs> I'm terribly sorry, but I'm up here calling balls and strikes. I, I, I think that there is something to that, the way that you ro- you roll it out there in front of everybody there. It's just like it's uh, there. It's it leaves. I mean, it leaves. There's a randomness there. I guess that's part of the fun, too. But sometimes I get maybe it scares me a little bit. It gives me anxiety that it's going to end up being <laughs> like it's going to. But I mean, I think as long as you're paying attention to what the players are feeling, like if it's like, oh, this is going to be too easy, like I'll make them last another round or something. I think it suits it. If you're just using it indiscriminately, it's not to the soul of the game, which I think, Tony, you capture the soul of what it's supposed to be about, where sometimes they just screw up, right? Just like player characters, sometimes they have a bad day and they can't get good at initiative, right? They can't get started. And I couldn't get the sword out. And, oh, oh I missed on this one, right? Like sometimes creatures have bad days just like players. So sure. I think that suits it much better. Uh, one of the hacks that I've done in regards to that is uh, what I've started to do with my monsters, uh, unless it's something that I just have to pull for some random thing and it just happens to be a monster, I open up the monster manual and there they are, I go max hit points. Um, I don't go by what Woo. they put in there. I put in, so if it's 78 plus 12, then it's 7 times 8 plus 12. And I start there. I start at the top. Because then I absolutely... Uh, will dial depending on what's going to happen. I don't do it all the time, but absolutely. I don't think you can you can run a game that is uh, going to have this back and forth and tension without just, I mean, running an absolute meat grinder uh, without kind of adjusting for the tension of, of the situation. But yeah, I'll go max hit points because what I found is the damage output from parties is enormous. You know, maybe that'll change when I when I'm really starting to use uh, if static initiative works better for me. But you know, when I'm rolling at a four with my monster and I got five people jumping on this motherfucker, right? Like he's got to have some staying power, you know. And my character's still going last, yes. Yeah, because I didn't I didn't create 13 scenes for tonight. I have a certain number of encounters, and th- I expect a combat to go for you know a half hour plus at least, right? So, I mean, I started doing some math beforehand where I would do the, the relative damage of the party to decide how, especially for the bigger characters, for your big bads and stuff like that, have a mind to the amount of damage your party does per round so that, you know, like this is going to like he's going to last a couple rounds here. Right. Like that. He's not going to be gone super quick. You have an idea of. It gives you a good idea of how much time you have with your, you know, your big bad be able to. Yeah. Back no, when I'm looking at uh, Strahd, when I'm looking at Vampire, and I look, I'm like, no, I'm, I jacked those hit points. Like, man, I jacked Strahd's hit points. It still wasn't. I was still like scrambling against the party, trying to not have him just be annihilated, especially with a sun sword blazing, right? Uh, and with Vampire, I put him, I put him well over 600 hit points, and even that, I could have probably gone more, and I don't think it would have, it would have negatively affected it. So yeah, the damage output of parties is much. So I would say start with max hit point, like max it out. You can always adjust on the fly. If he, if you're just wailing on these people, 
you know, things can happen. Or you can just wail on them. I mean, there's nothing wrong with killing people or t- capturing them or teaching them a lesson. I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I mean, you know, back in the day, we used to talk about, like, how long does a street fight last? Well, how long does your combats last? Mm. If they're all getting wrapped up in two rounds, probably not not the ideal situation. Unless you're doing that throwaway encounter where you guys are cleaning up camp, goblins jump out of the brush, and you dust them. Okay, well, that was fun. Great. That was a – because as Thorne used to say, you know, you teach your players how the environment works. So there's a flex moment. You guys have leveled up. You're getting more into your character roles. You toss them to the wind and move on. But if you have combats going around like 12 – 14 rounds. One of two things are happening. One, this is an incredibly epic battle. Like, this is really something that matters. Like, we're on Mount Doom, and Frodo's two rounds away from throwing the ring in, and all the ring wraiths are there. Or, we're just stalled. Everybody's out of magic, everybody's out of action surges, and the cleric's up there smacking them with his plus one mace. You know, there, there's a great disparity of scenes there. I mean, I think definitely, and that kind of thing too, with the the use of the monster dials and stuff like that, like the health dial, you can help that to where the combat's going on too long. This monster is smart enough to run away or something happens that drives him off, right? And I clear out of it and then it turns into a larger combat down the road, but I break, you can use them to break up, to definitely to add time, but also to definitely take time away because there's a point, you know, it's everybody loves a good combat, but there's a point unless it's really the final game where you don't want to spend the whole session in this one long combat with something that is semi inconsequential to the whole you know quest tony you're absolutely right we used to say it all the time you do teach your players the game that that they're playing and if they are just annihilating things in front of them and just crushing these things and it's awesome and they're very heroic they're going to approach it, it the minute it happened in Strahd, because i had you guys on a nice edge until Old Bone Grinder, I think it probably was, when you guys annihilated these hags and you just you kicked in the doors and did all this stuff. Prior to that, even just running through Death House where, like, nothing is really happening and you're all like, what the fuck, I don't like this place, we need to leave, right? But at that point, the party turned and then they were very, oh, no, yeah, we let's go. Let's go take these guys. And that every time that happened, you got ballsier and ballsier which is cool but realize that that's what's going to happen and i will say in a a different way with dragon lance you guys have had multiple encounters now where it's been very touch and go really fighting for it and i feel like and you guys can tell me if, if this is correct or not but it's changed how the party approaches things you don't just barrel and scream ah we'll take them you kind of think through things you kind of respect the power of the enemy and what you're up against. Is Does it read like that, comparative to uh, Strahd, since you were both in that one as well? Levels one through five <laughs> are a DM's best friend, right? Yeah. Is yeah. the time like it's like when you know your kid is like an infant it's like you have the most control over the players you can frighten them every combat is like i might die this thing and then you kind of hit fifth <laughs> and all of a sudden you're starting to take off a little bit yeah but i mean i think that dragonlance certainly has been more threatening besides the wolves for sure scar who were just a oh, the wolves. i would fail my strength check every time and i would be prone like a paladin just laying in the dirt and he dragged oh. by his foot into the first yeah. of these wolves. <laughs> but uh, like 
the stuff that they brought in, like the, uh, the I don't want to ruin anything for anyone playing Dragonlance, but the the damage output of the stuff for characters that are, you know, we were like, you know, second, third, fourth level there, is the type where you're like, crap, I can only really get hit once. So there's such you change the way yeah. you play. You you're much more uh, cautious about what you do. You don't want to just jump in on things. It's uh, the danger level is cool. It's tough to keep it going, man. One through five is such a beautiful time for being able to be able to get people like it's everything. All your encounters are challenging. Everything is working. Then you hit fifth and they really start to get some power and you have to start to work more to be able to create that same level of uh, challenge. Well, you know, from big in both campaigns, I have to say without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, Sir William does not play like Hawk Morgan. Like he, <laughs> no, no, no. Hawk would have ran in there. He would have, like, jumped off of a second-story balcony into one of the Draconians. He would have done all this great stuff. And Sir William's like, let's get on the shit. Like, you know, like it's, it's, time, it's time to get the F out of Dodge. Yeah. Uh, one, thing, one thing before we uh, – I, I know we're probably getting close to final thoughts, though. One thing that is not a hack that I made up or anything, but it's something that I want to start using, and I actually found it in while – running Dragonlance is this idea of things happening during the combat, things that are, that are different. So in some battles, it's been the battle that's happening around you, what they call the fray in the, in the adventure, or uh, when you guys were uh, trying to find Tatina Rookledust, the gnome, the tinker gnome and her clockwork contraptions would go off and it was initiative count zero. So it's anything like environment stuff or or other things at initiative count zero that just start going off. I found I it's one of the things that I'm going to start integrating into even more stuff, even past this adventure, because it's so useful because it changes the battlefield every single time. Like you think you have this stuff c- controlled and now something else, some random event in some way is happening. So that I found that that's been a. Uh, very useful during battles to help, uh, you know. Until until my second level paladin gets kicked in the horse for eleven damage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The only person who's put me down on the campaign. Yeah. Yeah. It was an errant rider, but uh, all right. It's uh, it's probably getting about that time though. So let's get to some final thoughts here. Just what we kind of talked about, and then anything else that that kind of comes to your mind. So at the end of the session, it's good to have an idea where your players are going so you can give a structured prep. Take your scene, break it apart. I like scenes, or like your game, break it down in scenes and understand where my beginning and my end is. And then do, I have the pie chart method of how much role play, combat, skill challenges, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to sprinkle in there throughout to make your players happy and with your scene transitions, I know it sounds like you're putting a lot of eggs in one basket, but if you're doing it right, then moving to the next scene is where they will want to go. Not versus I'm like kind of you know poking them with a sharp pointy stick trying to get them to go. I would say uh, roll only as much as you think helps to benefit the game and what the player's stories are trying to achieve there. Find places like uh, the static damage, static initiative even the monster health dials to be able to control it. Don't be so beholden because you're the master of the story of telling their stories. Let them do the rolling. That's the fun part for them. The fun part for you is sharing your world and the exciting stories. Oh, it's so Gygaxian. Like this, you become the shaper <laughs> of the cosmos. You know? It's like, whoa, dude. 
I would say uh, all the stuff we talked about. I mean, for me, it's stuff like my session prep, uh, having that template to have a specific way in which I know how to prep for the next session so that I have this stuff in front of me when I sit down to be able to feel comfortable being head up and engaging the players where they are. Like Chris was saying, static damage, it, it, it has changed. Uh, this is probably a little little too hyperbolic, but it has changed my DNA in the same level like Secrets and Clues did. I mean, it's so freeing in some ways, and it's allowed me to engage with the game better with that. But I would say do exactly what we've all been doing. It's what we're doing on the podcast. It's what we talked about here. I mean, we talk about other YouTubers and podcasters and bloggers and writers that we're taking from because we're all just doing that. That's all that this ever has been for the last 50 years. So try new things. You hear something about static initiative, try it out in the game. It's not going to destroy your campaign, right? If you want to go crazy like Professor Dungeon Master and be like, no initiative. I mean, try it in a game. It's I don't a know. Video. You haven't seen it. It's it a, really is a good video. Yeah. video. It, it, yes. he's, uh, he's next level. Yeah. But that's exactly what, don't feel like, you ha- like you're somehow coming up with all of this stuff yourself. We're all just learning from each other. And now you have this plethora out there on the interwebs of everybody, not just, you know, your friends who also run a game. So anyway, uh, that's it for us this week. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. Thanks again, guys, for sharing your wise knowledge. And as we do each week, we are going to let our dear old erstwhile leader take us out. And thank you all for listening to another episode of Three Wise DMs. Again, if you want to hear us talk about your question, please feel free to enter it in that What's Your Problem field on our website. Send it to our email address, threewisedms at gmail.com, or talk to us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're always on the lookout for for DMs who, who could use some help. That's what we're here to do. So, And if you like what we're talking about, if you like what you're hearing from us, please leave us a five-star rating in your podcast platform. Share it. Tell your friends. All that stuff really helps us grow, and we should appreciate any support you can give us. Plus, you might have friends who have their questions they want answered, and we'd love to help them as well. So that's it for this week. We'll talk to you next time. Three Wise DMs. Thank you.